Hello, I'm Emmeline Clade and welcome to Queer Worlds Moving Bodies, a digital programme of moving image works, conversations and writing, exploring queer life and art through the lens of choreographic practice. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with my friend and collaborator, Heidi Ruskard. You'll find notes and references from our conversation in the description of this podcast. Queer Worlds Moving Bodies is commissioned by The Place and presented in collaboration with Fringe, Queer Film and Art Fest. This conversation was recorded in London in July 2023. Yeah, well, let's just carry on from there then. Okay. Shall I start with introducing myself? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me about you. So, um, I'm, my name is Heidi Rustgard and I'm a, a dancer and choreographer and also a curator. And I, my work is sits in between dance and performance. And since around 2000, I've been working collaboratively with Hannah Gilgren. And we call ourselves H2 Dance together. And we work between Norway, Sweden and the UK. At the moment, I'm working from this notion of off score as a queering, but also as a destabilizing move, as a way to expand my own practice as a choreographer and as a curator. I'm fascinated with meetings of differences and I think maybe this is something we will come back to later in the talk today and how we negotiate the space of hierarchies, conformity, power and manipulation. And at the moment Hannah and I we are working on a series of work called Amplified Edition which is a project that amplifies the secondary material of different spaces and we have uh, amplified the secondary material of the black box space and the gallery space and we're about to start a third edition which is uh, looking at the concert space and the project tries to work with the objects of these spaces and queer the relationships between the objects and the body and the sound and the sound is live and accumulative during these performances Um, so in that way kind of uh, situates the material that often is in the background or hidden from from you or invisible and since 2018, Hannah and I have co-curated uh, Festenfest, which is a festival of expanded choreography that presents work in London and the east of England. And this project was born out of our dissatisfaction with the sort of traditional focus on dance practices as kind of productions of polished performances. And we, we were lacking spaces for uh, meeting as artists. So for the festival, we tried to value the social uh, and explore the choreographies of being together and that being together between artists, but also between artists and audiences. For the last three years, I've also done an MRS in advanced practices at uh, Goldsmiths in the visual cultures department, uh, where I did a research project called Queer Choreo Curation, uh, where I worked with the terms choreo curation, which I put choreography and curation together and the notion of wobbles and conviviality. Um, and I explore these terms through the through queer theory. Wow. <laughs> this is I just want to say this is lovely to do this with you, Heidi. Because <laughs> we go back where we when did we first sort of meet? Two thousand fourteen, something like that, when I did worked with you in Staging Ages and which was an H two dance production, wasn't it? And then but we, no, we knew we, no, we knew before, didn't we, at the PAL labs. Do you remember we went to those you were part, took part in the research lab down at uh, Dartington. Dartington, yeah. 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 Um, so 
Yeah, well, like I'm, I'm a sort of a sort of queer, old, wrinkly person who's been around a rather long time. Um, I started as a ballet dancer and then was very much involved in the somatic movement of the 1970s and X6 dance space was the sort of beginning of new dance and the independent dance world. Then sort of took over as artistic director of a dance company, Extempore, for a while, Extempore Dance Theatre, and started making my own work as an independent choreographer, performer. And around that time, I thought, mm, can I read and write? I thought, I'll, I'm not sure. I've never never did any education, you know, so I went and did an MA at Middlesex and then ended up doing a PhD at uh, University of Surrey, which pinned me into academia for quite a few years. And at the positive of that, of course, it gave me a chance to sort of reflect on a lot of the practices that I was doing. But it's only when I came out, and that's also after retraining as a Gestalt psychotherapist, that was also another sort of layer. It's when I came out of academia that I came back into performance, and that's when I think we met again. And I started, because I said to you, oh, I really want to start performing again. And then we started, and then we've now had a collaboration together as part of the solo show that I'm performing at the moment, mm-hmm. um, which no doubt we'll probably talk about again. So yes, so I'm perform at the moment I'm back performing a solo show called Untitled. And I've also just published a book on um, falling, falling through dance and life. I guess one of the things I really want to talk with you about is this whole sort of notion of queering and performance. And I was thinking, when I was thinking about this this talk today, I was thinking how Actually, right from the beginning, right from, I guess, from when I was a teenager, I've been involved with what I call, what I used to call, androgyny. Mm. Um, And I don't mean androgyny as a kind of a neutral middle place. I mean androgyny as a play of the arc between one polarity and another, one polarity of gender and and the other, the many others, and the many others all along that route as well. And that ability to shift and play. And I realised how much that was there even when I was a ballet dancer because I'm thinking so much now around when I look back to that life as a female body what I well zoom right in on it I mean the phallic thrust of the ballerina's legs and feet was just as relevant and and that power was 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 with with all the femininity the kind of fluid sort of fragility that would go along with that that combination was there right from the right from the beginning Together with, and I think this is one of the issues that we're going to talk about today, is, is invisibility and how, again, right from the beginning, performing has been about masks and codes and and how we get rid of that and then how do we want to play with those and it's all sorts of things. So anyway, um, that's probably enough introduction. Well, maybe I could ask a question about this space of being the ballet dancer and still feeling it as a this androgynous space, but perhaps not being allowed to, perf- to vis- make this visible. I wondered if you could talk a bit about that. Well, there's been a lot of feminist writing you know, around uh, critiquing the role of ballerina, um, well, as a, as a patriarchal, terrible white... I mean, it is, it's awful, a colonial, empirical, white supremacy. I mean, ballet kind of represents all of that. And quite rightly that it gets deconstructed and we all come out of it and I'm really really pleased that we did that at the same time for male bodies and female bodies the form itself was was empowering in many ways because of this combination between strength and fragility and um, 
So there was a lot of agency as a dancer, even though the form itself was, um, yeah, a sort of colonial white form. So, um, And also, of course, body-wise, from the feminist perspective, that ability as a, as a female body to be without tits, without hips, without hips, without hips, without hips, very thin, very muscular, was, of course, a very... Um, challenging as a as a body to maintain and of course there was a lot of illness and a lot of um, mental disasters really from having to try and live that not sure I'm answering your question but um, that's okay <laughs> <laughs> I guess all I want to say is yeah. this idea of playing between yeah has been part of my life ever since being a tomboy really ever yeah. since getting into ballet and on through yeah I mean, I think that's why the somatic world was quite a challenge for me, because it came at the same time as feminism. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can come back to that a, mm -hmm. a bit as well. I guess I'm interested in the shift, the queering shift, mm -hmm. um, from when you were doing theatrical dance with H2 dance, mm -hmm. particularly like duet. Yeah. And that shift then into work where you're using what what you call the secondary objects and how that links to your thinking about queering. Well, I think there were many diff different shifts happening at that time. Well, one was for me a kind of interest in working with uh, objects as material. I guess before, with, with duet in particular, it's very much about Hannah and me and our relationship. Yeah. Uh, so it's very personal because we did couple therapy together and then that became the starting point for uh, making the work. So it's very much about revealing our relationship in a way. Um, I guess I became less interested in this kind of theatrical form and wanted to explore something that was more working much more with uh, abstraction. Yeah. So it was that and, and working with objects. So thinking uh, choreography kind of beyond the body or the the body as the central or the focus of the performance which i guess all the works had had before yeah up until then and i guess i'm also very visually driven so it's like really working into the kind of visual imagery of and the potential of making images that mm -hmm. the stage has so i got quite excited about working with that more as a material so in a way there was sort of a switching of the body's relationship to the objects became, rather than the body being the kind of main performer, the body became the activator of the other material and to enable the other material to become the dance. Mm. So in a way, you're lifting this other material that is in usually in the background and drawing attention to something that's usually in the background. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's where, in, in many ways, we are different. Um, because I think the potential of a body, my body, your body, the, the, the potential of what a body can perform and the movement between different kinds of performance is also another way of um, transforming between one thing and another, shifting between one thing and another. So for me, I see your work as, as um, not conceptual, but definitely like an abstraction of queering in a way. It's like using it as a philosophy there's mm -hmm. a way of that, the idea of moving between things, becoming uh, the network, the unfixing. 
and for me, I think it's about continually fixing. So it's like it's sort of continually different fixings, so that the, it's all actually the process of moving between those. Um, but you fixings. call that a fixing, okay? That's well, then I mean, I'm I'm laughing as I say that <laughs> um, because of course it's actually the movement between those things. But I want I don't. It's not a neutrality. But you want to acknowledge the, the arrival into something, maybe. Is and that? the switch immediately out yeah. of it. So it yeah. never really identifies, but it can take extremes. So for me, in, it, for me, performing presence, I mean, presence, I mean, what an amazing term that is when actually most of it's about invisibility. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of presence to be able, for me, it's about how do I shift between what is a very theatrical form of presence to a very minimal, to a very uh, somatic, to a very technical, to to an expressive to you know, all those different and the images to, to become another body to become a character to become you know, all of these things for me are a way of queering mm-hmm. because they are constantly unfixing but for me unfixing has the word fixing in it mm-hmm. and it's, it's yeah I think when way back when we were all doing the somatic stuff which I think also I have to say was a primarily a white movement and it was a really necessary white movement for dan- uh, movement practices for white dancers because we were all so much into that hierarchy of dance and and we needed to undo that kind of identity and the somatic work was very important at that time but it coming in the same time as feminism I always found that really difficult because again wonderful things about feminism and how important it is to deconstruct patriarchy and Uh, you know, undo gender power and um, male privilege and all the rest of it. It was also about encouraging this idea of that there was some kind of feminine sexuality or that sort of Lucy irregularity stuff around the two lips and all that stuff. (laughs) And and I always found, yes, that's great. Yes, that's really great. But of course, I was also coming out as a lesbian at the time and I was also thinking well, hold on, actually, my desire isn't really going down that route. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm yes, yes, there's all of that. But actually, I quite like that sort of phallic thrust. And I quite like that. Yeah, I like being that and doing that. And so I found myself always in this place of, yeah, well, yes, I really agree with feminism. And I really love all this sort of opening up of the fluid and the fragile and the fragility and the fragmented and all the rest of it. And at the same time, a lot of desiring of of that... um, exactly the thing that we were trying to break down. So I guess I'm always looking for that creative tension between mm-hmm. the two. Um, and when it goes too much in any one direction, it's like, I, whoa, where's the play? But I think in a way, that's what we did with Skinned, the, well, yes. cl- the collaboration yeah. also in a way. We, you're stepping into something, but you don't hang out in that place. You just you acknowledge it as a space to step into, but then as soon as you arrive, you come out of it again. So it's in a way in relation to the skin, the actual material, the wolf skin. That's what that, I mean, our collaboration together, mm-hmm. which is part of the solo show, but it mm. also exists on its own, doesn't it? Mm. I performed it for Fest and Fest, mm. which is very much about, this is fantastic um, fake wolf skin. And we talked a lot about the hunter mm. and the hunted, mm. and now that, how to play both of those roles. And I think that's what skinned, skinned is so there is there's a lot of a lot of material a lot of movement material which is under and inside the fur mm. as well as the appearing out and mm. and that's where the term cruising came in didn't it mm. we started talking about what would it be like to cruise 
the audience. Mm. But you're also in a way cruising the the, the skin and yeah. the fur yeah. and 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 hunting the fur and being hunted by the fur and yeah. there's always in between these two places. It's an interesting way that I think that our works come together. You're interested in object, the the otherness of the 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 other material. Mm-hmm. And my work in performance presence, it mm. comes together in that piece, I think, doesn't it? Our mm. interests. Mm. Yeah, which is where it, it's a very, your pr- your body's presence in that work is very different to the body's presence in Amplified Edition, for example, and where we, for yes. example, in the first project in the Black Box, we actively tried to become vi- invisible. So we wore completely black clothes with uh, black um, covering our heads as well and faces. So we somewhat became part yes. of the background yes uh, and i think with skin you are in a way you you go into and activate the fur and become invisible inside to draw attention to the creature more uh, but also yeah but also as a kind of functional activation of the object yes so there's a similarity in that way yeah and as you're saying that i'm thinking that's for me the power and the the energy of a collaboration is that collaboration is not about trying to find a middle ground but it's actually how can differences exist alongside together and i think that piece demonstrates i think our collaborative differences and the way of bringing that mm. together and collaboration itself is very in a way what conviviality is about as well isn't it mm. it's about how do we remember that your dinner parties mm. of bringing a group of people together of difference to share time i mean do you want to say a bit more about well it came f- initially from needing spaces to hang out with colleagues to think about what we do and um, create space for thinking about practice which i feel it's uh, difficult to find in london it's uh, and also because of the festivals, I feel like they're not really focusing on this. They never, they never give the space for, never is maybe not the right thing to say, but they, they don't tend to focus on the coming together of of artists and audiences and have sharing something beyond experiencing yeah, an artwork. But that I'm interested in the spaces prior to and after as this kind of where the potential for conviviality can take place but it's also about ways of feeling that you're part of a community of artists and that's yeah so this was in a way why I set this up as these regular dinner parties that was happening in my flats because mm. I w- yeah I needed I needed other people to talk about things that concerns me in my practice but also I'm also interested in this space because it allows it for being quite, it can be very serious. We can talk about the very serious topic. We talked a lot about queer and queering, and and this was interesting as a kind of research around this um, topic. But also, it slides in and out of this kind of very can be very formal into the very informal. And I like this kind of space in between the formal and the informal. And we can kind of go off score. We can go. We can. It can take us in many different directions that are happens because we are together and we we were sharing a meal and other things happen in that space that I think yeah it was it's 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 about creating kind of social social spaces but also it's about creating support networks and support structures that somewhat holds you which can also 
give you confidence as you step out into the world and meeting meeting differences is also a kind of a safe space in that way depending on how you set it up I'm very aware that we had a pause yeah. and I'm thinking what it's like when I listen to a radio show like Radio 4 or something like that in the morning and especially during Covid when everything was, all the interviews were online, there would be these moments when the person on the other end would disappear mm -hmm. and there would be silence and I'm really aware of the impact of that on my body when the radio, which is all about words and it's always this concentrating words it's like you've got to hold on you've got to hold on the words hold on words hold on hold on hold on hold on to the words suddenly drops oh. and I'm thinking there are millions of people who also hear that silence at that moment of drop and I find myself completely fascinated by it and that just now when that happened mm -hmm. I'm thinking that for me is the connection to the book that I wrote on on falling tell me more yeah Various things came together with this book. One is dance has always had a fascination with gravity, I think. Either going against it, like in ballet, or going towards it, as in somatic practice, or treating it as some kind of emotional contact, like in, in physical theatre, um, like the end of hope, the end of religion. This is, this is it, there's nothing else. We're just going to go splat. And then there's also at the same... So there's all the dance movements through falling which I wanted to write about but also there's from working as a psychotherapist there's also the existential learning about the necessity to fall to be able to drop to be able to come into a space of nothingness to be down basically to go down in order to feel that polarity and so much of our western culture is about being up it's all about breathing in, it's all about stress, it's all about getting to the top, it's all about getting better, getting higher, you know, and, and I just felt, hold on, this is just so unhealthy. So that combination of both what I was learnt in dance and somatic work, plus the, the therapeutic sense, led to me writing this, this book on falling. So falling is dangerous, disaster, you can die, and at the same time it's an agent for change so that's what it, yeah and in the, in the way that relates to maybe conviviality also in a way that's it's a it's a down space i feel absolutely it's a process space it's not a perform it's not a product it's space. not an exactly it's not well it could become but it's in my project it was very much about the space being down on the ground being being along sliding along the table moving across the table it was never about somebody coming up out of the table absolutely yeah um, that's a nice parallel and i think these spaces of down are hugely important and bring, brings me to the notion of the rhizome also absolutely where we create these networks underground to allow for something to come up but then it, come, it comes back down again that's what we do as artists too, isn't it? I mean, that's what—that's the power of all the different movements that have happened in dance. It's always been like a network of people working. It's all been in the process of it. And then suddenly somebody will pop up and do their thing and it will get, that person gets named and it all gets terribly 
unique and original and famous and all the rest of it. But actually, that's not where the work is happening. The work is happening in this rhizomic network of many, many different communities and processes. Yeah, but I guess the, the, the problem often is when somebody comes up, they stay up. They don't necessarily come, I don't know, back down again. I feel like the, if we could create spaces where this movement up and down is bit more fluid where there's not an up and then further up and then up and then it, it it just goes in one direction and it's not yeah it becomes about this kind of linear linear trajectory of upwardsness I don't think it's always an artist I, yeah I think that's a cultural and, and a neoliberal problem as well though isn't it because it's you come up and then someone gets hold of you and thinks right well you need to go further up and let's let's give you this and let's and then quite often it's not it makes it very difficult for that artist to come back into process because they're sort of in demand and that's really difficult when your whole economic survival is sort of based on making money and uh, yeah I, I, I think it's not easy to stay in a place of process. I mean, I'm thinking about this building where we are now. I mean, every 10 years, every era I'm in, I find another, there's another old factory warehouse that's been run down that gets inhabited by artists. And this is a network, isn't it? This building looks to me like another network of artists and craft people and things are getting made. And, and then suddenly something will happen that will make it really famous and then the then the you know then what happens is the build the, what's it the, the businesses come in and the house this is this will be posh flats won't it within another 10 years i expect less than that yeah but this is the network this is and hopefully there'll always be mm. this x6 was certainly this yeah butler's wolf yeah m- maybe we could talk a bit about x6 in the way how did x6 end because I guess there was an urgency to create this space for you to come together, and you had this opportunity, you had this access yes. to this space, and it allowed you to work together as a collective. But how did it? Yeah. How did it end? I would say, I mean, you're not on reflection. I mean, this is a question lots of people ask. Um, the way I'm going to answer it today, I would say, there's kind of two major shifts that happened. One was us. Is that the collective? had spent five years together undoing a lot of the traditional trainings that, that we'd had and relooking at what it was to do what was called cross-disciplinary then, mm-hmm. uh, site-specific work, uh, conceptual arts, you know, lots of different areas that we'd gone into. We were all actually ready to go off, take this into different fields and different communities. So that was one thing. But the other thing was just what I said, the developers, uh, we weren't allowed to stay there any longer. Mm-hmm. Derek Jarman, um, all these artists that had been there, we were all shoved out and the developers came in. But as you know, as I wrote in that first book, um, Yes, No, Maybe, we all gathered there one night with hammers and crowbars and and um, we lifted the entire maple wood floor. That was X6's dance floor. It was absolutely beautiful wood and it, which is now Chisholm dance space's floor. Yeah, we just took it all. I mean, X6 had this, it was like one of those old warehouses where both ends, you had these massive doors with cranes that go down and the lorries would come. So you've got the, you've got the Thames on the one side 
with the boats and the, the, all the material would come in and it was a tea warehouse. Teas would come from the boats and they'd come up one side, they'd get trodden, put into boxes, they'd go down the other side and get put into trucks and they'd go into London. So then, of course, it becomes derelict. But these winches were still working. So we took the whole floor, bundled the whole floor up and winched it down <laughs> into lorries and took it over to East London. Great. Yeah. I guess space is disappearing is uh, another big thing. Yeah, I had a small tour with the show last autumn and I was really aware going into places like in Nottingham, you know, mm. to dance floor in Nottingham and I looked around on the walls and there was all these amazing posters from the 1990s of all these dance companies that would tour, you know, and then, and you got a sense that that was a whole world. People would go to theatres and they'd long tour and and that just doesn't it doesn't happen anymore. It feels feels now it's much more you need to make a relationship with a venue and do a whole, you know, make it a big community event and maybe you get a little, you get a chance to perform in the middle of that, but it's, and of course COVID shifted all of that as well, I think, in mm. terms of coming, audiences coming out. Anyway, we're kind of deflecting from maybe from... No, but it's maybe related to visibility because it's, you might have had some visibility and then but it's not a given that you continue to have that mm. also and that there's a kind of a lot of these sort of one-off performances and then it doesn't continue so this it feels like there's not so much about building relationships and then coming back to conviviality i think which is a, like creating these spaces where you also build relationships mm. um but the, the wonderful thing about the conviviality meetings that i was a part of is that sense that in a way it is a performance it is a performance, it's a process that is a performance. And in a way, it's a whole shifting from thinking about performance being something that's got to be directed out, like a, like to have an audience. It's a shifting of the whole sense of ego mm -hmm. as a performer. Yeah, there's something very interesting about that and what that means in terms of our whole mental awareness of what performance is and what dance was, putting it in the past tense. Dance was always about learning the skill and performing it somehow. I mean, I love all that. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm also with, aware of the, the process of the shifts, yeah, for sure. Jose Esteban Munoz uh, says, Queer is not yet there. Queerness is an ideality. Put in another way, we are not yet queer. We may never touch queerness, but we feel we can feel it as a warm illumination of a horizon imbued with potentiality. I think this potentiality, I think, is kind of important. We have never been queer, yet queerness exists for us as an ideality that can be stilled from the past and used to imagine a future. The future is queerness domain. I love that because in a way it's about in the moment of even naming queerness, it needs to move on. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a yeah. great definition, it's a great quote. Um, it is always a process of shifting. But but it also has a history, queer. Yeah. You know, there's an abstract, there's a philosophy, I think, about queering, and then, but there also is a history of queer, and I think it's important to also remember that history, I think, or not remember it. But it is still connected to, to bodies and desire. And uh, it hasn't always been a positive, obviously it hasn't always been a positive uh, term at all. 
that that's also informed what it is now mm. because i'm i'm interested in like what might well what happens when queer becomes a methodology or queer becomes a metaphor yeah there's an, a danger again about making invisible the yeah. people who actually yeah queering <laughs> made this space i mean queer subjects yeah, yeah. Yes, and I, and I know that that's been something that really interests you as well, because through the MRES and looking at you know, potential of PhD and mm. the abstraction of queer as a philosophy mm. and how it can be transformed into all sorts of different fields. And, and I know that we've talked before, I'm always the one that says, but Heidi, <laughs> hold on, you know, there's some real bodies here. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, how, who are queers? And uh, trying to sort out what it is, well, how, how is that? How is it? to be a body that's queer mm. now you know what's queer now what it isn't if it is that you know what, what it can still I, there's a danger is there i think of something getting fixed and it's that constant movement yeah can anybody take this term up i guess that's uh, that is a thing i question what do you for think? myself uh, all Just, the time do you think anybody way. can yes and no <laughs> like where are the boundaries of queer I mean, I don't want to say, okay, it goes to there and then everything outside of there is not queer. That becomes yeah. trickier as well because yeah. then you're fixing it. Then it becomes something you yeah, define. Absolutely. So it needs to stay fluid and open. And, and maybe the fact that we don't know or that we keep asking these questions is, is part of it because we can't define it in, in a way. Though, of course, there are people living queer lives que queer subjectivities is it at the base of all of that so i was going to say maybe yeah. there is a, there's a core there around the fact that this is bodies there are mm. bodies here yeah there's lived experiences lived experience of queerness which actually then does take us into much more of the sort of abstract philosophies of processes of living and ways of living and maybe it's maybe it's about holding both fluidly But in a way, in, in works like Amplified Edition, you can't kind of go in and see the work and think, oh, yeah, this is queer work, maybe, because it doesn't deal with representation in that way. So it's, it works with queering as a methodology more or as a strategy. Exactly. Depending on how you come into the to, to view it and your own experiences, you might see, yeah, I guess you... Some people will not think that this has anything to do with queering or no, because it doesn't well, it perform a certain kind of queer aesthetic, whatever that is. Also, that's also tricky in a way because it's not well, about the queer aesthetic is the one you're defining. I mean, you're defining it in your work as a, yeah, but as I'm a not place of becoming. Trying to define it as something specific, in a way, as you're defining it as something unspecific. Well, if it's <laughs> your work difficult. exists, your work yeah. exists out there. It is something that people come and see for a certain yeah. length of time, and then they leave again. So there it is. Yeah, um, that exists. I could also work with this notion of transformation and not come at it from a kind of queer angle. You could still work with transformation and not think about it as queering. It's just how I think about it, and I think for me and Hannah, it's also different. Uh huh. And your performers. And also the performers, in a way, they they will need to enter it from yeah. whatever angle they enter it from. 
which is different for the making of Untitled, that yeah. where, where everybody involved is queer. Yeah, so that is a very different space. Yeah. That was quite important, I felt, because it was the first time I did a project where everybody was queer. Yeah. It was something very... It was like, a, ah, this is there's something here that mm. is quite comforting. I wonder if I wonder what the impact of that is on on the work. It's hard because I'm performing it, so I can't yeah. I can't sort of tell that. But um, I mean, obviously, outside of the performance, like in the social media, it clearly travels around that everybody involved is is queer. Mm. But does that come across in the performance? I guess I come across as a bit queer. I think you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe um, we could talk a little bit about that, this, how you perform the the cruising and also, because there's a long history for you around (gasps) cruising cruising and the cruising workshops that you used to do in the 90s. Mm. Well, I guess, you know, things I've been saying a bit earlier around presence and, I mean, the, the show going from, I mean, I love the whole flamboyant potential of camp and all of that area. And I love also this kind of quite intensely butch, dark, you know, heldness. And I love all, all the bits sort of in between all that. And um, But the cruising workshops, oh, God, I'd love to do some of these again. I've got to try and sort it out. But um, in the 1990s, when all of this, I was making all this kind of weird lesbian work which was probably pretty much slammed down at the time because it was not um, but anyway it was all around androgyny so I'd run these workshops and three terms I guess came in very clearly as 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 the workshop started to formulate power pleasure and presence and what the workshops were, were basically about was it was was embodying these the power and pleasure separately first of all like really understand what what's it like to be a female body in power what's it like to be female body in pleasure now that was quite difficult for a lot of feminist women because mm-hmm. they're not prepared to put their asses out or put their tits out because everybody's got to be ever so somatic and very sort of you know held and stuff so it was real play of what is femininity and masculinity for both men and women and that was what the workshops were about and then it was we would set up these kind of improvisations you know sort of one of them happened at the ICA I remember sort of in one of those lovely studios they've got up there of a sort of setting up like a bar type event uh, where people would cruise each other using these different um, elements because the part of the cruising is about seduction and seduction in dance has always been about the ambiguity of presence which comes back to this term invisibility mm-hmm. it's always been about ambiguity that's what attracts an audience not the literalness but the play of whatever yeah anyway so that was there was a lot of fun doing those well because i guess when you perform the work i mean you are in a way you are cruising the audience um, some of the time i am for sure yeah, yeah. especially in your bit in yeah. the in the bit we yeah. collaborated on yeah. for sure yeah yeah it's very interesting to see the the responses from the people from the audience because this can be also quite uncomfortable for people. Yeah, yeah, because they're not cruising back. No. I mean, if they were there to cruise too, I mean, it's a bit unfair, isn't it, <laughs> setting it up like that? <laughs> but making the latest work, it, I think we did spend a lot of time working out what is the space in between, though we knew each other quite well already, but how to make 
this space comfortable, I guess, is part of setting up the space also. And also knowing, like, how far do we want to go in, uh, and also, like, physically, or, but also um, emotionally and thematically. And, mm. and, and because it's score-based, it's also... It, it's also continues to evolve no? because you are very much playing off the people in the room when you're performing it so in that sense it's also not fixed and the music and planning to rock yeah the the sound score definitely has a big part to play in setting the energy and the mood yep i mean it's not prokofiev is it no i mean it's no, yeah, yeah, it sets up a it, particular it environment. It impacts on performing quality. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, there's a huge amount of energy in that score. But it also very clearly sets up a space. Yeah. Uh, so for the audience, I guess you're also really entering a space because you're so immersed in the, this sound.
to actually realize a project takes a long time. Right. It feels like it takes longer and longer each time we do it. Maybe because we do many different projects as at once also that sort of overlap with the festival and our performance projects and which are very two very different ways of entering into a practice because we also try to think about the festival as a choreography because we work with the knowledges of being choreographers and and that's how we enter into the role of curator it's not knowing the role of curator it comes from i mean it comes very much from a place of urgency like there's something that needs we need to deal with in in the kind of dance and performance scene so it's also very much about the context of the uk and these urgencies are not they're going to continue to change or they're not staying the same so it's just like trying to continue to to respond to the things that are coming up and also that's in a way what's coming up in the performance the more conventional performance works is you're trying to respond to the thing that's coming up in the project that then becomes the next project what's the next driver or what's the next interest so yeah i've never understood people who have a very kind of clear line through their practice i'm like my 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 brain doesn't work in that way there's so many things to be interested in i'm just thinking i think i would have loved to have had a package that i could just pick up and sell you know like i just but i i guess i it just never works you know you get you'd have a piece i can remember the piece i made for kanduka you know it was like really successful you know i thought right okay maybe i can do a female like that every time i would set out to try and do that would never i couldn't wouldn't happen and it's like this show you know like the place invites me back to to do the same show and I think I can't do the same show it's just like there's just no way I can do the same show so I'm with you with that but there's a bit of me that thinks oh well that's been successful why don't I just sell that one then no but it doesn't there's something about going back to what we're talking about it's about that undoing all the time or being fluid with 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 material but it's the not being able or not wanting to do the same show about keeping it more interesting for you or oh, there's so many of course there's lots of ideas that you are working on that you want to develop and there's not enough time exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's not enough time to stay with the same thing <laughs> yeah thank you so much for listening to this uh, podcast the music you have just heard is from planning to rock and the song is called visible which is the commission for Emmeline's work Untitled and the separate project called Skinned. <laughs>